please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1. No, I'm kidding. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Uh, and yeah, if you haven't gotten the, uh, the, the, the sermon guide combination weekly devotional thing that Shannon's uh, sending around, um, grab on to that. Because uh, just trying to give you all something tangible, something to hold on to, something to look at uh, as we go through this uh, series and um, something we uh, will we'll, we'll try to do every week, um, at least during this series, to try to see if this is something that um, helps build kind of spiritual disciplines in the life of our community. This is not just notes for uh, the sermon today, but also kind of a guide that is going to kind of connect us um, from Sunday to Sunday. Um, so that is uh, what that is. So today we are beginning a series called Holy and Faithful Mercies. And it is a series on the life of David. Now, shout out, if you would, um, what words come to mind, just one word, it's like word association, when you hear David? Goliath. Perfect. King? What else? What is it? Psalms. Awesome. What is it? Purple. Okay, that's royal, right? Saul, Bathsheba, adulterer. Now we get to some of the darker, darker episodes. Yeah, yeah. So interesting that when I hear these, these words, what, what I think about when I hear those words is that all of those words are really associated with a story. There's a story behind Goliath. There's a story behind Bathsheba. There's a story behind how he came to be king and then what a king, uh, the kingship, what the monarchy means to the nation of Israel, to, to, the, to the people of Israel. Um, so that's what I want to focus on today, is that before we launch into uh, the, the, the narrative of David proper, we want to think about story in general, like Mary was talking about. Have you ever found yourself caught up in the midst of a story? A, a story so riveting that that perhaps just for a moment you, you felt like it, it was more than just a story. Um, I think about uh, Alicia Poling has this t-shirt that has all these different sayings and stuff from different books that she has read, and it says, like, they're more than just stories, or they're more than just books, or something like that. Like, there's something deep, uh, something that can affect us when we, when we encounter a powerful story. For me, I think the stories, that stories are best received when they are received as gifts. So they're best told as they are received as gifts. There were details, characters, plot lines, conflict, tension, tears, laughter, awkwardness, victory, and maybe even defeat, all brought together by this good storyteller for the purposes of awakening something in the audience. I could not have been... Um, I could have been... a. Um, it could have been a perspective that maybe you never considered, or maybe it was a backstory that helps you understand um, a present situation with more maturity. Some stories attempt to pull uh, to be pure truth, while others attempt to make no claims at reality. Yet even in the best fiction, there seems to be somehow more truth in its words because it kind of it stirs something in you that is quite real and perhaps even quite useful. I think that stories, at their best, 
either heal something that was previously disturbed or awaken something that was previously stalled. I'll say that again for those of you taking the notes thing. The best stories are either going to heal something that was previously disturbed or awaken something that was previously stalled. As many of you know, my, uh, my parents divorced when I was uh, in my early teenage years. And one of the things that helped me get through that time, get through that storm, was my mother, um, who even in the midst of this anguish over a failing marriage, she chose that time to tell me the story of my father's life in a way that he has never told me, um, so that I could at least have some understanding behind his actions. I could better understand how I played into the larger story in which I suddenly found myself a part and use that perspective to do the necessary work to help heal the relationship. Of course, that makes it all sound too simple. It was a billion times more difficult than that. Still, the walk to reconciliation with my dad began with a healing story from a person who quite honestly had been hurt by him. That story was a gift. It was a gift because it healed something that had been previously disturbed. And right out of the gate, we see a principle that's worth sharing about good stories. They're not gossip. Gossip breeds disturbance. Gossip is going to increase confusion and cause harm. I love the quote that says, gossip spreads half-truths with less than half of the facts and less than half of the heart. It would have been very easy for my mother to gossip about my father or to badmouth him, but I actually never saw her do that. What I saw her do was to honorably place her, or, or her own pain on hold for a moment in order to give her son something that he needed. That was a tremendous gift. The other kind of story that I think is worth noting is a story that um, it disturbs something or awakens something that was previously stalled. I remember back in the summer of 2000, I was working as a counselor for a summer camp for elementary students, and I noticed the darndest thing. Many of these kids were carrying around the same large, bulky, 734-page hardcover green book. Now, this was before cell phones were in everybody's pocket, but this was still the age of video games and television. What on earth would make a nine-year-old want to carry a textbook to summer camp with them? That summer was the year that Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire came out. Now, I was 18 years old at the time, and I was intrigued, but not intrigued enough to actually read a book. Uh, it wasn't until my mother actually asked my, my, me to take my nine-year-old brother Taylor to see uh, the first movie that I, I caught the bug. And I remember going to Target, like, this was nuts. I'm 18 years old, yeah, I'm cool, I'm a teenager and all this, I'm out of high school. And I go to see Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and immediately I go to Target after seeing the movie, because I just got to get the second book, because I had to know uh, what happens. The story had awakened something in me that had been previously stalled, and I devoured the second book, and I devoured the third book, and I devoured the fourth book, and then I realized the fifth book had yet to have been released. And then Amy and I were dorks in line in the middle of the night 
to make sure that we were able to get the new releases immediately upon their release. And for me, uh, the, the thing about was, that was awakened was the, the idea of story itself. I hated reading as much as the next guy. But, but reading Harry Potter, for some reason, these books helped me realize, um, they helped me realize that I would be missing out on a world of wonder if I refused to prioritize books. Not just Harry Potter books, but books in general. Like, wow, there is treasure here. More importantly, though, I realized that I would be missing out on a way that God would build my character through stories if I refused to acknowledge them as the gifts that they were. So today we are starting a new series for New Hope Community Church entitled Holy and Faithful Mercies, The Life of David. The Davidic narrative in the Bible is one of grand epic scale. We perhaps know more about this warrior, poet, king than any other character in the Bible. And we're going to spend the next 12 weeks looking at various episodes in David's life in hopes that they will heal something in you that might have been previously disturbed or awaken something in you which may have been previously stalled. But we're not going to just jump in without a bit of primer. Um, You know, last week we finished a 17-month series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, And the previous year, we have finished a trek, we had finished a trek through the book of Romans that had lasted over a a little over three and a half years uh, with breaks. So between Romans and 1 Corinthians, um, they were both written, of course, by the Apostle Paul. And, And before we, like, you know, break away from Paul, um, I thought we could spend one more week looking at Paul's words as kind of a direction to David. Um, it's one where he lays a foundation for why we should study the life of David, but also for why we should take this thing called story so seriously. And so for that, uh, if you haven't done already, please turn to the book of Acts 13. Uh, we'll get there in just a bit. The, the book of Acts was written by the same author as the Gospel of Luke, and it's the story of the early church. Uh, it's in, in this, uh, it is important for us to pay attention that this narrative as, uh, is one that takes us from the birth narratives of Jesus all the way through his death, uh, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and then tells the story of how Peter and the other disciples became leaders in the early church and how subsequently the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to, and others to spread the message of the gospel. The last line of the book of Acts sees Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul himself had a story of remarkable consequence. He had once gone by the name Saul and had been a man who had persecuted the church. The story tells that he had been breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's the kind of line you get when you're hearing a good story. But then one day, Saul was on the road to Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you? And the reply said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The encounter had a life-changing effect on Saul, and over the next few chapters, we see this man who had done these horrible things, 
to Jesus' followers, rising in influence in the life of the early church. In Acts 13, we see Saul, who had now gone by the Roman name, his Roman name, the Roman version of his name, Paul, um, travel to an area called Antioch of Pisidia with a company of others. He and Barnabas, they were, they were good Jews, so on the Sabbath they, they went to the synagogue. And they go in and they sit down and they listen to the reading of Scripture, and then the officials of the synagogue say, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation to the people, please give it. Now, for Paul, this was like lobbing a pitch right down the middle. You know, you picture him clearing his throat, and the text says, you know, he, he stood up and um, kind of motioned with his hand. He thinks about what he wants to say to a group of Jewish people, not only Jewish people, but also God-fears, non-Jewish people who are following, uh, following God in the room. And for a moment, he asks them, or they ask him to speak. And Paul realizes in that moment that the best thing that he can do is to connect to their identity through a shared story. Picking up in Acts 13, chapter six, uh, verse 16. The second part of uh, verse 16. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. After he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their, their land as an inheritance. For, and for about 450 years, after that, he gave them judges until the time of the prophet Samuel. So what Paul does here is quickly moves through the history of the Israel people in order to bring them to a certain point in history that Paul wants to highlight. Um, but we shouldn't fly through it ourselves without pausing to consider the high points of Paul's argument. First of all, God is the God of Israel. This God that we're gathered to talk about is the God of Israel. Regardless of what comes next, it is a vital important, not only for the people that were in that synagogue, but for us to know that, um, that the news Paul is about to share had its origin with the God that initiated a covenant between himself and his chosen people Israel. Paul wants to ground them and us in that reality right off the bat. Paul is in that synagogue to tell a story, and he wants his listeners to know that it is connected to the identity of Israel. Number two, God is their deliverer. Paul wants, them, wants to remind them and us that even in the midst of trials and suffering that affect the very core of our being, God is our deliverer. God is their deliverer. And just as he called the Israelites out of Egypt, he also calls us out of bondage. And third, God has destined them for an inheritance. God called the Israelites out of Egypt and then gave them that land as an inheritance. Paul is gearing up to communicate the truth that they were not just saved from something. They were saved for something. He gave them their inheritance of the land and then gave them judges to rule. And even through the cycles of repeated unfaithfulness on the part of the people in the book of Judges, God remains faithful to his promises. In the last line of the book of Judges, it says, In those days, 
There was no king in Israel, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. See, this is the backstory of what comes next when Paul picks up in verse 21. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. When he had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, man after my heart, who will carry out all my wishes. So now finally we get to David, a man after God's own heart. That's a peculiar kind of phrase, isn't it? It's one we hear all the time in relation to David. It's first used in 1 Samuel 13 without even a mention of David's name. But as we'll see next week, the story takes a dramatic turn once David enters the picture of the history of Israel. David the shepherd. David the warrior. David the king. David wasn't the first king of Israel. Like Paul says, the first king was a man named Saul who was from the tribe of Benjamin. And as a side note, uh, this is kind of the thing that makes you go, hmm, because who was Paul but a man named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin? Um, read into that what you will, but I think it kind of adds some texture to the story. The relationship between Israel and the monarchy, it's a funny one, because Israel wasn't supposed to have a king, because God was supposed to be their king. There's this story in, in 1 Samuel 8. The elders go to Israel to judge Sam, to the judge Samuel, who had appointed these good-for-nothing sons of his as judges, and, and they demand a king saying, give us a king so we can be like everybody else. This is a serious bit of backstory when considering the life of David that we'll be in over the next couple of months. See, Israel wasn't supposed to be like everybody else. They were blessed for the benefit of others. Samuel prays to God and basically says, can you believe this? And God says, welcome to the club, Sam. Actually, he says, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. And God says, listen to them, but tell them what they're getting into. So Sam says, all right, you can have a king. But you're not going to like it. You know, kings, um, they tend to tax people, and they take the best of what they got, um, and basically, it's going to be like your slaves again. And the people said, nah, we're going to be just fine. We're determined. We're determined to be like everybody else. We want a king to go out in front of us and fight our battles. Now, kids... This isn't just your standard run-of-the-mill, idolatrous, uh, sinful disobedience. This is giving God the finger. God says, well, Sam, it sounds like the people are determined. Better give him a king. Let this marinate for a moment. God, who, who created the universe, begins a covenant relationship with his chosen people and sees them grow from the size of a small elderly couple to having control over the promised land, the whole time putting up with their sin, putting up with their unfaithfulness, putting up with their idolatry, and just telling them, look at, look at me, Israel. Just follow me. You don't need a king. I'm your king. 
You don't need to be like everybody else because I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. I want you to be like me. But no. No, they were, they were determined to have a king. So they received a king. And like Paul says, the first up to bat was King Saul, who eventually needed to be removed from office. And then we get, we'll get more into that in the coming weeks. But, but then there was David, this man after God's own heart, the, the shepherd, the warrior, the poet, the king, the adulterer, the murderer. I think that we'll, what we'll find in this story of David is a reminder that the line that separates the good guys from the bad guys, that there is no line that separates the good guys from the bad guys. The, la- the, the line that separates good from evil is right down the center of each one of us. Because regardless of how much promise David had, regardless of how much he legitimately loved his Lord, David was still only a man, only a human being. And human beings are dangerously corrupted by sin. See, that's the backstory that Israel may not have wanted to own. Still, our God is a God of redemption. Our God is a God of reconciliation and restoration. God promises David that his storyline, that his line, his, 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 his royal line is going to somehow be everlasting. And like Paul, we're going to give away the end of that story. Paul tells us in verse 23, Of this man's posterity, God had brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Just as he promised. Jesus embodied everything that Israel's people, patriarchs, and kings were supposed to be. He he called out a people. He, He delivered them from bondage. He introduced them to the true kingdom of God. King Jesus was and is David as he was meant to be. He becomes king in a way that you may have not saw coming, though, through his sacrificial death. The sacrificial death on the cross that somehow defined love, that somehow defined sacrifice, that defined faithfulness. After sharing with the people the good news about Jesus' resurrection, Paul says that the holy promises made to David will be given to King Jesus who will reign on an eternal throne. N.T. Wright translates that line, holy promises, as holy and faithful mercies. Like the people who uh, were in that synagogue with Paul and Barnabas, the people in this room today aren't just invited into that story, we're invited to tell it. It is a story that above all others is a gift, is the gift that has the power to heal the disturbed and awaken awaken the stalled. And the really cool thing is that every person in this room is not only called to tell that larger story, but also to tell how your story gives it texture. Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, there is a story that only Bruce can tell. 
There is a story that only Louise can tell. There is a story that only Dan can tell. Have you heard it? Have we as a community gathered around these stories and said, you know, Bruce, I don't know if I've ever asked you, how did you come to know the Lord? You know, Dan, I don't know if I've ever asked you, what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? How do you understand? How have you experienced Christ lately? You know, these are stories that we should have. This is why we have house churches. This is why we have small groups. And, and this is why we have the small community. It's the benefit of having a small church is that we can know each other's stories. So my question to you, are there stories that you haven't heard? Is there a story that you need to hear, that you need to ask for? Is there a story that you've been neglecting? Because it might mean that now you have a perspective that will make things a bit harder than they were in your ignorance. See, now this gets very practical. If we get to the end of this 13-week trek through the story of David and all we say is, boy, oh boy, do I really know a lot about David now, we've failed. The purpose of this series is twofold. First and foremost, any series, but this series is a, is, a, is a series that is designed to help you and I know God more closely. To develop a deeper personal relationship with Him. One that's going to matter in your life. I believe that we can enter into David's story in order to do that. We can walk through the episodes of his life and then learn about the holy and faithful mercies of our God who is mighty to save. Are there stories you need to tell? And are there stories that you're afraid to hear? As Mary said, one of the ways that we're going to kind of help keep focus during this series uh, and kind of keep our, our focus on maybe more life application kind of, kind of stuff and, uh, is we're going to use Eugene Peterson's book, Leap Over a Wall. Um, and we're not going to do every chapter in the book. We're going to do uh, many of them. This would be an ideal thing that if your house church is looking for something to study in the fall, this would be a great resource. It would also be a great resource for your own personal study time um, because the truth is that, it, that you know, I'm not going to just teach the book. It's you know, uh, going to be um, other things that you can kind of wrestle with uh, in regards to the book. Um, but also we're going to have a weekly sermon guide and devotional, <clears throat> as I mentioned before, not only with notes about the sermons themselves that... Um, uh, when the edge and the crux or anybody can, can uh, use to kind of help uh, track through the sermon, um, but then also a devotional, something that is going to be intentional about helping us get from Sunday to Sunday. Next week, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to learn about the first episode in the Bible where we really see David kind of appear, um, and it's going to be 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13, and you're going to see that in your devotional there. There are things that you can kind of guide your way through the week, and what that can look like, that may look like you sitting and kind of having journal time. Um, it may look like you uh, kind of writing things out or typing things out. W- whatever it is that works for you, it, it may just mean, and this is perfectly okay, it may just mean that you find a chair once a day for 15 minutes and you sit in that chair and pray. And these kind of questions can be things that will help guide your prayer time. There will be some scriptures there that um, will help uh, build on the themes that we talked about from the previous week and point us in the direction of the next week. And for you high schoolers, uh, 
please do it because this is going to be what we use as our kind of guide for our crux time. Um, the, 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 the high schoolers who are in the room now um, can use that uh, study guide uh, and we'll kind of be get, digging through a, uh, a few of these, not like everything, but a few of these as we go through our high school time. Um, but that's just kind of a preview of what's going to be coming over the next couple of months. Um, but for now, let me pray for us. Uh, let me pray for our time um, that this might be a uh, fruitful series. Father God, you have been telling the story of creation to new creation. You have been telling this story of you calling a people blessed to be a blessing that now we, each one of us, are welcomed into. You have given each one of us our own particular texture of that story. We fit into that in a very unique way. Help us to wrestle with that this week. Help us to consider the ways where we fit into that story and how you are guiding our path. The ways that um, help, help us to, to name the times when you showed up in remarkably faithful ways. But then also give us the courage to ask others to tell the stories that we need to hear. Is, is there a thing, is there a, a perspective that we've been hesitant to understand that we've been refusing, no, no, God, I'm not interested in those people. I don't, I don't want to talk to them. I don't need to know who they are. No, is there, a, is there a story that we need to hear? Are there people that we need to know? Are there characters that we need to understand that are ultimately going to fit into this grand meta-narrative of creation to new creation? Help us as we go through this, Father. Guide us. And we do this all for Your glory. And all of this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.